He's got a beautiful backswing. Dad, oh, he got all of that one. Oh my gosh, that is amazing! Lay up with an iron into the hazard. Well, that wasn't quite what I meant, you know. What's good, everybody? Welcome into the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Jim Woodward with you today. And boy, sometimes the content just writes itself. And we have a historic tournament to talk about from over the weekend, Nick Dunlap, amateur, sophomore at the University of Alabama, wins the American Express. He joins friend of the show, Scott Verplank and Phil Mickelson as the only two other golfers to win on the PGA Tour as an am in the last 65 years. T-Dub, I had to start there. What are your thoughts on Nick Dunlap from over the weekend winning by one shot over Christian Bezadenhut on the PGA Tour at the Bob Hope or the American Express? It was absolutely historic. There's really no other way to go about it. What the amateur Nick Dunlap did, it was the U.S. amateur champion. Not like this is a guy who just absolutely came out of nowhere. But also the fact that he's going up against, in the final group, he has Justin Thomas and Sam Burns in the same group with them both. Ryder Cup members and Justin Thomas being a two-time major champion to be able to go out there. And he got off to a little bit of a rough start for sure. Had that double bogey on seven, but had the front nine, had two birdies on the par fives, which helped. But then being able to make great putts on 14, great putts on 16, and then however you want to call it on 18, getting a little bit of a fortunate break on his second shot. But then being able to get up and down, make that little six-footer with all the pressure on Woody, it was absolutely incredible to see. And it sort of goes to show how, and some of these tournaments are now that you can have an amateur come in the PJ Tour event against some of the best players in the world and come out on top, even after a rocky start. That's pretty crazy to me. Yeah, well, we've talked about this, guys, and that's the scariest thing about where we're going and what we're talking about with the future of the tour. We don't get stories like this if we don't have a big enough field. So I have to be honest with you, too. I was looking on my computer, and I looked on it, and I saw this was Friday afternoon, no, Saturday morning before they'd even teed off, and I saw Dunlap. And I was trying to think of what pro is Dunlap. And so I had to hit the little cursor thing, look at it, and it said it had an A by his name. I went, oh, no. Are you kidding me? Is that the kid that won the U.S. Amateur? So I, I had to go through and pull up some stuff, and sure enough, and I went, wow, how good is that that he's playing that solid? Little did I know he's going to go out and teach 60 on Saturday, okay? And and we talked about the Country Club where he shot that. It's, it's not a real difficult golf course, especially if you drive the ball well. But when I watched that tournament unfold this weekend, you know, I hate to admit it, guys, but I was actually glued to the TV. Now, I don't know. I can't wait to hear from my buddy Sam. I actually had Randall on listening to what they were all saying and the interviews and everything else. And I really was entertained this weekend watching a golf tournament that normally doesn't thrill me that much other than the fact that I played a lot of golf in Palm Springs and I enjoyed seeing those golf courses, a little bit of reminisce. But that was a heck of a golf tournament, guys. And the moxie he showed down the stretch, would you have ever dreamed 
Then he'd get up on 17 and knock it on the green, and then Sam Burns knock it in the water. And then during the Sam Burns doesn't do it again on 18. Burns finishes double bogey, double bogey. That young man makes two great pars, wins the golf tournament. I think it's I, – I tell you one thing, it's really good for the PGA Tour and it's really good for golf for that to happen this weekend. That's my opinion anyway. No doubt about it, guys. And the quote that really stuck out to me from Nick Dunlap is, pressure is a privilege. And he proved that he can succeed under pressure at the USAM this past summer at Cherry Hills. Obviously, he won twice this fall in Alabama. And so, yes, I knew he was good. I didn't know he was this good. I mean, how could anybody ever predict that a guy in college, a sophomore in college, is going to go out and win on the PGA Tour and shoot 29 under? But, fellas, I was so impressed not only with his iron game. He's one of the best young iron players I've ever seen. But I was impressed with his moxie. After he made that double bogey at number seven, he comes right back on number eight and steadies the ship with the birdie. And then he made a clutch, what, 10-footer at number 10 for his par putt at number 10 and then made the six-footer on 18 to win after he kind of hit an anti-water shot on 18. But look at what Sam Burns did. Probably smart that he did hit an anti-water shot on 18. But the Zayden Hoop made it a little tougher on Nick Dunlap, forcing him to get up and down. And that wasn't the easiest chip shot in the world either. He was on a little bit of a down slope, had to get it up quickly. And it's hard to predict how much nip you're going to have on that shot, how much it's going to run out. And he predicted it pretty well, up to about six feet, and rolls that putt right in the heart. But, fellas, we have another superstar on our hands. And... Dunlap is already, to me, an elite iron player, but I was most impressed with the clutch putts that he made coming down the stretch, T-Dub. Oh, absolutely. The moxie that he showed, truly outstanding. And then to your point, what with his irons in that final round, he gained more than a shot and a half with his irons. He was hitting some great shots. He wasn't in his driver very well. He only hit six of the 14 fairways in the final round, and a lot of those came on because he had 14, 15, and 16 back-to-back, and he also hit 12. So uh, right there in the first to middle part of the round he was hitting his driver very very poorly but then he hit a lot of three woods off the tee as well and that started to get him a little bit better he did hit the three wood way right on 18 with that to be said with where that uh, water lies and what would happen if you go left like sam burns did but just to also clarify how big a superstar this kid has a potential being he's the first reigning u.s amateur champion to win on the tour since tiger back in 96 and he's also the second youngest player to win on the PGA Tour since World War II, only behind Jordan Spieth in that category. So, Woody, whenever you get in this breath the same air as Jordan Spieth and Tiger Woods, two of the fastest comers out on the PGA Tour, you got to know you're in a very, very good category. Well, and you, they didn't include Phil Mickelson and Scott Burplank. Mickelson's career is unbelievable. Scott's, I think, would have been even better at his head if he's been a little better, but following those two guys' footsteps, you, I mean, the, the sky's the limit for this young man. I i watched that 18-hole, Sam, because I, I had to play at PGA qualifying school at that golf course, and you talked about having some, um, well, uh, the term I like to use is shit in my neck because I can't <laughs> breathe. Coming down some of those holes, when you got a lot of pressure on, they are brutal. I think, and I don't know this for sure, but I'm pretty sure I don't think he realized uh, 
that that the other guy I can't even pronounce it. Christian Bazadenhoop. But yeah, he birdied eighteen right after you know Sam Burns was in the process of going double double, so there was a chance. I didn't get to hear Dunlap after. Maybe he thought that he had a two shot lead when he really only had a one shot lead. Exactly. He said he did until he got up by the green. Yeah, I think that's what I was gonna say. So I I don't blame him where he hit it. I would have been playing for five. It wasn't until he got up by the and when he got to the second shot, then he realized, oh, Lord, this guy may birdie. And then, like we said always, when you win a golf tournament, the guy, up gods have got to be a little bit on your side. And I can tell you guys, because I have been on that 18th hole, and when you miss it right there where that pin is, that's a very severe slope through the middle of that green that separates that green. If his ball would have hit and not trickled down, even though it was on the down slope, it came down inside the what I call the cart trail area. If he's on the other side of that cart trail where most of us humans that hit it over there, that's where it goes. Uh, now, whether it hit somebody, I don't know. But how that ball ended up where it ended up, I was like, wow, how good a break was that? He still had a very difficult chip. But if you take him on the other side of the cart path, now he can't see the flag. He's, he's chipping up and over a hill. And it would have been off that dormant Bermuda, too, which is much harder to chip off of. Oh, it would have been a scary shot. I mean, it could have been a shot you could have hit in the water from over there, Sam, to be honest with you. So, like I say, the golf gods work in mysterious ways. It it definitely was this young man's time because you don't see Sam Burns make those mistakes very often. And he looked like the amateur coming down the stretch. Where and so did even though Justin Thomas hit some pretty good shots, the two shots Justin Thomas hit on the back nine, uh, well, one on the back nine, one on the front nine, when he had irons into the par fives, were just horrible, absolutely horrible. Those were shots that I would never expect those guys to make, especially as good as they were playing. But you know, the stars lined up, uh, everything came down to where he had the is actually a five foot nine inch putt on the last hole, and I'm going to tell you what: if our listeners pay attention, if you go back and look at it, watch how steady his head is. I mean, all that pressure, everything going on, was going on, and that boy was rock solid. His head was so still when he struck that putt, and I'm going to tell you what: those eyes never left that ball until that ball went in the hole. So. I mean, what a, I'm like you guys, what an unbelievable golf tournament. I mean, we're three tournaments in when we count the century, and look at all we've seen already. It's awesome. It really is, fellas. And Woody, you're talking about how he had a quiet mind, especially under pressure in those last few holes. I'm sure a lot of things after that putt dropped on 18 are going through Nick Dunlap's mind. Now, let's go through this because – After he wins as an amateur on the PGA Tour, he does not earn any prize money or any FedEx Cup points. He does earn his PGA Tour card through the 2026 season. He can claim that Tour card at any time during the 2024 season. Now, if he stays an amateur, which I would be shocked if he does, because listen to this, he was already invited because he won the USAM to the Masters, the U.S. Open, and the Open Championship. But the reason why I would be shocked if he does not turn pro sometime soon is because 
he will not be eligible for the signature events that he just qualified for during the 2024 season by winning this PGA Tour event. If he turns pro, he will be eligible for all signature events this season. But if he waits until the end of his college season, he's going to miss out on a bunch of opportunities to play in signature events. Now, also, if he turns pro, he earns a spot in the Masters, which he was already in, In the U.S. Open, he remains in that, but he would be switching out the Open Championship for the PGA Championship. He would no longer be eligible for the Open Championship after turning pro, but he would still be eligible for the Masters for winning on the PGA Tour, the PGA Championship, and the U.S. Open, or... He can also go to live and still be eligible for those majors as well for winning on the PGA Tour. So he has a lot to decipher here in the next couple days. We just heard yesterday that he is withdrawing from this week at Torrey Pines. Part of me thinks that he wants a week off before he turns pro and plays in that signature event at the AT&T Pebble Beach next week. Um, But fellas, in this day and age, it's tough to get in signature events. Even for guys on the PGA Tour, other PGA Tour players would kill to have the opportunity to play a full schedule of signature events, and he has that right now, won't have that next year if he waits. So, fellas, I think the the choice is obvious, and I texted Scott Verplank. I said, if you were Nick Dunlap, would you turn pro? And he texted me back and said, yes. So, fellas, I think that this is one of those situations where he's not only chasing money by turning pro he's also chasing legacy because opportunities to be involved in these signature events don't just come along willy-nilly even for pga tour players he has to turn pro now such an obvious choice that it actually kind of is a joke because as you mentioned the the whole thing that you do to play collegiate golf is to get to the next level the highest level possible pga tour and that's exactly what he can do now that he wants so yeah it's Clearly, clearly the decision you need to do. You can make so much more money in the signature events. You play good enough in the signature signature events. You can get into the Open Championship, which would be the only major, as you alluded to, Sam, that he's not in right now. No matter what he does, he's still in the Masters. So that's really whenever you talk about the guys who are the U.S. amateur winners and you're thinking, well, are they going to turn pro or not? A lot of it comes down to them being able to play at Augusta. And he's already going to get to do that with the opportunity to win seven more or to play seven more signature events, I believe is how many it is. So... I think it's clearly obvious, Woody. And then think about it also. You can have a PGA Tour winner showing up in the college suburban at 7 a.m. for a 36-hole round. Like, something about that just seems <laughs> off to me. So I, I just don't see that, that happening, Woody. And then, Woody, one thing I want to make clear to our listeners is even if he does turn pro today, then he will still not receive the one point. Five one two million dollars that went to Christian Bazadenhut because you have to announce that you're a pro before the tournament. Which to me, all the incentives are there for them to turn pro after the fact, Woody. But <laughs> there's to me, if you're turning pro the next day, why can't you give the guy the money that he earned? It's not like some sure. nil deal. You know, it's funny. I very seldom watch golf with my wife. She doesn't like golf. She. She's the most boring thing to watch, but she got into this story because I kind of was explaining to her what was going on. And when that tournament ended, Sam, she said, what does it mean he doesn't get the money? And I was trying to explain that to her, and she was like, she said, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. I mean, why can't he just say, okay, now I want the money? 
And I said, well, that's not how they do it. You got to, you got to declare before you tee off. And she goes, well, once again, this is why I don't watch this stupid sport. So I just <laughs> left it alone. I wasn't, I wasn't going to argue with her, but, but in, in your all's arguments, it's, if you just cut to the chase, he does say it best. When you reach the level he just reached, any athlete never wants to go backwards. Okay? Not that saying going back to college is backwards, but it is. Because he doesn't want to play college events anymore. You know why? Because even if you won every one, what difference does it make? Okay. Everybody said, well, he needs an NCAA championship. I uh, no, no, he doesn't. And you know what? He, he sailed his ship to the Palm Springs area. He thought he was going to gain some valuable experience, which he did, but he also gained some valuable playing time, which is called the signature event and the PGA tour. He is the one guy that I would say to you all doesn't need to go to live. He doesn't need to do this. He, he needs to stay right where he is. He needs to play those events. He needs to just turn pro and say, welcome world. Here I am kind of like Tiger did because he's going to have multiple other things money wise. Um, you saw he already was tailor made it up. So, you know, they got a contract. Adidas has got a contract. There's all kinds of, bonus money already coming his way there's no reason for him to stay amateur okay there's absolutely zero reason for him to stay amateur and anybody that will argue that you know what they're going to argue that uh, I I can't go political so there's a number of ways I could go but I'm not going to go political but they're going to argue some stupid stuff okay and they can argue with me all they want but if you take 100 people and you say here's where you are this is where you can go. 100 out of 100, if they've got an IQ over 12, is going to go, I'm turning pro, I'll see you later. And Scott Burfine said, best of you, Sam. He didn't go into long dissertation. He said, what? Yes. yes. Would I turn pro? Yes. Anybody in their right mind should turn pro. This young man should too. No doubt. And golf is an individual sport, fellas. It's not like the NFL draft that, say, Caleb Williams wanted to come back to USC this year. He's still going to be the number one pick next year, right? But in this situation, golf is an individual sport. He will not have status to those signature events next year. Sure, he'll have his PGA Tour card, but why in the world would you take a chance at not being in those signature events next year and you missed out on the ones last year? This isn't just about money. It's about status as well and getting into future major championships. Or if he did decide to go the live route, the bag of money that Liv is going to offer him right now is much, much higher than it will ever be in the future. Talking about if he were to go back to Alabama and wait this out a year, fellas. So I don't think there's any decision to be had. I think the reason why he pulled out this week at Torrey is to go back to Alabama and get everything figured out. Uh, and I would be shocked if we didn't see him at the AT&T Pebble Beach here after after this week. Hey, Sam, one other thing that we, we, we got to realize is because we've talked about this, about Austin and Sam Stevens, a number of these guys that we're pulling for to get into that top 50, top 60 players. This young man 
just made that leap without having to grind. If, if he plays any good at all, he is now set. It will make no – I mean, unless he just plays absolutely horrible golf, he's destined to stay in that realm of those superstars for as long as he wants to play golf. You can't let that go by. You only get so many chances in life. There's only so many windows that open up. He has got to jump through this window. If he doesn't, it will shock me. Oh, beyond belief. I will go, what? Who is talking to this? And T-Dub, to Woody's point, we always talk about this with this new school PGA Tour. It's almost like the PGA Tour is separated into two tours. You have the guys that play in the signature events, and then you have all of these other PGA Tour tournaments it's so much harder to make that top than it is to lose your spot in that top echelon of golfers because you are going to make so many more FedEx Cup points, so much more money being in that top echelon that's playing signature event after signature event than those guys, even if you're playing well, you know, on the Corn Ferry Tour, the, you know, bottom tier PGA Tour events, he already has it. He, it's already here for him. You have to take that opportunity, whether you care about money or status, both of them say go pro. Well, that's exactly it. With now the PGA Tour and all golf now is so much more layered than it ever is. So there's so many more levels you have to get up to get to the cream of the top. And as you said, that's already there. Like I said, what he was talking about earlier, you know, athlete wants to go backwards. And that's, you look at if he did actually go back to college and say the amateur route, what are the actual benefits from that? He doesn't play in any more major championships. You flip-flop one for the other. But you, you can play in the NCAA championship, potentially go win a title, especially now in the match play format. There's so many fans that could go on that one putt. One guy could miss a putt. Next thing you know, you're out in the quarterfinals. And so it's too loosey-goosey to want to do that. Then you have the aspect of, I guess, teammates, and we all played college golf. I don't think any of us would ever be mad at a teammate if he won on the PGA Tour and said, I'm deucing out to go play at the highest, highest level. I think everyone would say, yeah, that's what, exactly what you should do. Good luck, and we'll go. We'll figure it out from there. We'll get a, our, our six-man. We'll now be promoted to five-man. Congratulations to him. So uh, <laughs> a school like Alabama shouldn't be having to worry about, I mean, obviously losing the USAM champ is huge, but you should have some depth on your team, a fairly decent player to throw in there to uh, hopefully steady the ship a little bit. And the whole thing is, if he does stay on the PJ Tour and want to do these signature events, it's a commission-based thing. The better golf that you play, the more money you get. If you have an opportunity to make $3.5 million a tournament, you should definitely take that opportunity instead of going back to college and try to sit in class and, as I said earlier, show up in the Suburban at 7 a.m. to walk 36 holes. That is, it, it's honestly not even a decision, Woody. It's just that you go do it. They could not only lose him, but they'll lose their assistant coach because the assistant coach was caddying for him. And if I'm the assistant coach, I'm going to make a I'm going to make a decision at that point too. And you know, I listened to their coach interviewed that that day when they were talking to him about, well, this is going to be a big decision if he wins. And he, their coach understands. I mean, he's not stupid. He he gets it. Watching that band full of the players when they were watching him as they were driving, who knows where they were going, but they were watching him make that putt and all went crazy. They're like, you said best, T-Dub. They want him to go. Yeah, they'll miss him. Sure, they'll miss him. But it's just like you said, guys, he's not going to get this chance. He's got to take this chance. This is an unbelievable opportunity, and he earned it. It's not like that's why, you guys, that's why we love golf. This is not a fluke. He played 
72 holes just like the others did. He won the golf tournament. And no matter what anybody says about golf, that's why it's such a great game. Everybody's got a chance to win, okay? Everybody. And there's no referees to call a bad call. And there's nothing out there but you against that golf course and those other guys in the field. And if you win, you should get all the glory. Well, guess what? I hope he takes it and he runs with it. That's all I want him to do. No doubt about it. And if someone out there thinks he should go back to college and says if he's that good anyways, he'll make the signature events in the future, I want you to go on to PGATour.com and look at all those names outside the top 50. (laughs) Those guys are wanting to get into these signature events for a full schedule of signature events. And there are a ton of great names who have accomplished great things. And you have to be really, really good, but you also have to have some luck. And he had the luck fall on his side. I would be shocked if he didn't go pro. And if he was my son, I would be telling him, yes, we're, we're figuring out how to uh, how to pack your bags from Alabama. You were going to the PGA Tour. It makes all the sense in the world. And then T-Dub, to finish this up, we mentioned it earlier, with the $1.512 million, yeah, he's going to make 20 times that or whatever throughout his career based on how the world of golf is going and how much money these guys are making. And he's going to make a whole lot this year in these signature events, or at least has the opportunity to. But I don't care how rich you are, $1.5 million is $1.5 million. Do you think we need a rule change here, especially when you look at the world of college sports, especially in other sports, how much these guys are making in college? And this guy, this is no endorsement deal. This guy earned it on the golf course and still can't accept it. We have to change this rule. This is one of those rules that was written before NIL ever even existed. It's an old rule that doesn't make sense anymore. It's been needing to change for a long time now. It's absolutely ridiculous that you can go out there and do the exact same work as a professional did, and and in this case, do it at a higher level than anyone else in the field. Of the 156 players in the field, you did better than all of them. So, yes, how are you rewarded? You're rewarded with absolutely nothing, and we're going to give the guy who lost you by one shot the $1.5 million. There's just something about that that doesn't seem right. Congratulations to our man Steve Bezos, Christian Bezanian, for making a clutch birdie on 18 to be the difference in $1.5 million versus the tied third with the three guys below him, I believe, was like $630,000. So almost a one or almost a $900,000 putt for C-Bezels. So congratulations to him. But the concept of Nick Dunlap showing up, being everyone in the field, and saying, hey, yeah, you get nothing from doing this. It's an absolute joke, Woody. It's been needing to change for a long time. And I'm honestly shocked, honestly, that it is still a rule to this point. I don't know how it hasn't been changed so far. I always look at rules like this, and when I was sitting there, my wife was looking at me like, well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. And what I always like to look at from that standpoint is somebody on the outside that has no dog in the fight, doesn't have one bit of golf blood in them, okay? And if they look at it and they go, well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever seen, uh, then we as golfers got to go, okay, wait a minute. <laughs> that doesn't make sense. It really does. We had it brainwashed into us. We've had it beat into us for not me a lot longer than you guys have. Okay, but no. If if after he won the golf tournament, he should have a twenty four hour period to decide. Okay, I'm going to go pro and not go pro. You got to give him a little time. I don't want him to walk off the 18th green and go. Yeah, I want the money. 
okay? Give him a little bit of time. It's not going to matter. what The money can wait for a day or two, okay? And give him a chance to say, yeah, I think I do want to do this. I want to go ahead and turn pro. Give me the money. I think that needs to happen, guys. I think you're both right. Yeah, or, I mean, wait, have it held until he does turn pro. Say he did decide to stay an amateur, right, for some reason that is unbeknownst to us, but just say he did and then turns pro later on, why not just hold that money for him until he does turn pro? Isn't that just too easy? (laughs) And by the way, doesn't it seem like the PGA Tour is just kind of – uh, not stealing it. That's not the right word, but all the incentives are there for him to turn pro. It's almost like we're almost forcing you to turn pro with how good the incentives are after you win, but we're going to go ahead and uh, not let you receive this 1.5 million right now. Hey, Sam, let's, all you got to do, that's what we've been always saying about since this whole podcast got started a long time ago we had Liv come on board and everything else and who is one of the guys that just hates the PGA Tour? Me because they were a monopoly. They did stuff that wasn't right. They did stuff that's not fair, okay? But nobody called their hands. Nobody slapped them, okay? It wasn't until Liv that all of a sudden the world just changed and that's how change happens. Somebody comes along and goes, hey, this isn't right. And in this case, it was Phil Mickelson that stirred the pot. And what did he get for it? A bunch of hate mail and a bunch of people disliking him. But when all the dust settles, he's going to look like a hero, just like Greg Norman should have. Greg Norman, I don't like the guy. I think he's an arrogant SOB. But let me tell you something. He had a vision many, many, many years ago, long before you guys were born, about a world tour. Okay? And guess what's going to probably happen in the next few years? A world tour. And everybody called him all sorts of names, still calling him all sorts of names. But you know what? The guy was right. Okay? These are situations you just have to have somebody come along that says, hey, this isn't right. Let's change this. And it can be done. And they'll tell you over and over again, oh, we can't change that. Yeah, you can. Don't tell me you can't change things because change happens every day, guys. No doubt about it. T-Dub, any final thoughts on Nick Dunlap and the American Express before we move on? The whole amateur thing, I just want to make a point of one thing that's been new over the last, I don't know how many ever years, is you could turn pro and then get your amateur status back. So whenever I see things like that happen, why do you even need this this status to begin with? We're talking about players potentially needing to have a 24-hour period after they play, which would be an absolutely tremendous better alternative to what it is now in my opinion you should just pay him anyway i don't see why we need to have stipulations on okay you're an amateur so what i think that the only thing you would really convolute is guys that are mid-ams at that point so just say if you're in high school or college you're deemed an amateur but if you play at a high enough level to where you can earn money playing golf you should just get the damn money so it's absolutely ludicrous to me that that's the world we live in but it is and the last thing i'll say about the american express before we move on is the fact that an amateur won this tournament is completely distracting from the atrocious finish that Sam Burns had. To go double-double when you're tied for the lead on the 71st and 72nd hole is something that a world-class player that Sam Burns is and wants to be cannot do. So uh, as great as Nick Dunlap's win was, it is distracting from the fact that Sam Burns had one of the biggest choke jobs that I've ever seen from a high-caliber player. Well, look at this at the end of the year, guys, when we talk about the choke of the year. And it very easily could be Sam Burns. Or it could be... Even Justin Thomas, guys, 
those are the two rider cuppers. Those are the two proven veterans, the guys that really should have the, the moxie, as we say, coming down the stretch to win the golf tournament. And both of them, both those guys didn't show me anything. And, and the, am, the amateur did. So, yeah, a way to bring that up, D-Dub, because that's a fact. That was one of the worst choke jobs. I didn't mind because I really wanted Nick Denlop to win. So <laughs> right. maybe I was like everybody else. But maybe that's why we kind of watched how bad that finish was other than the fact that he won. No, you're right. And he just kind of leaned on that eight iron a little too much and uh, was short right on 17. And then the classic just missed right, you know, short right. I'm going to, you know, really try to flip this one at the bottom. And then he flips it at the bottom on 18. Little overreaction, I think, to not only the last hole, but also the fact that he's trying to make something happen now. Um, two shots down. I, I think that it was just the classic. The real choke was on 17. On 18, he's just trying to make something happen. But you guys are exactly right. Uh, Sam Burns, I was shocked at the end of that tournament. But it just goes to show how tough those holes actually are. Like Woody was saying that he had to play back at qualifying school back in the day. Fellas, uh, let's Hey, move. let me yeah, tell you, Sam, Sam, yeah. Sam, one other thing on that that the listeners, this is why people that don't play golf, they don't understand all the strategies that go in. You know why that became so critical? Who made the putt on 16 to get the tee on 17? Nick Benlock did. Yes, you're right. Because if Nick doesn't get the tee on 17, and Sam Burns is allowed to hit first, Sam Burns will not squeeze that eight iron in the water. I guarantee he doesn't. He hits that green. But when Nick hit the green, all of a sudden, that ain't a very big target, guys. I've, I've shot at it, like I told you. I shot at it in qualifying school, and it looked like the head of a pencil down there. That's how tiny that damn thing looks, okay? But that changed that whole golf tournament. And the average guy that doesn't understand the golf tournament, I almost feel sorry for him because if you know what you're looking at and you're watching it, it is fun man to watch it because you know what is going through that other guy's brain if you've played and played at a high level you know exactly this chess match that's going on every putt every shot determines who wins that golf tournament that's what won the golf tournament for nick dunlap is he got the tee on 17 no doubt and that's stuff that tour veterans do and this guy was an amateur out there doing it all unbelievable performance nick dunlap wins the american express as an amateur fellas let's move on real quick before the break and talk about the dubai desert classic rory mcelroy who choked in dubai last week gets the victory this week at the Dubai Desert Classic, finishes 14 under, Adrian Moronk 13 under, Cam Young at 12 under on the DP World Tour. Uh, Rory redeems himself after his terrible tee shot on 18 last week, T-Dub. He does get a redeeming win. Good for Rory McIlroy. I said on the last show that I'm going to start being a Rory fan again. So I have to appreciate the win over Dubai as he did last year at the same time as well. So going back to back is a good thing. But what's really funny about it is you look at how the events transpired coming down. Rory Birdie's eight and nine to close out his front nine at a three under par. The back nine at this course has five par fives. Rory plays the back nine, one over par, bogeys one of the par fives, and makes no birdies along the way and still somehow wins the tournament, Woody. It's absolutely crazy to me. You had Adrian Morant down there finish one shot back 
at 1,300. Cam Young, who led this tournament a good portion of the way, he had a very, very poor final round, and they're shooting two over 74, making a lot of bogeys. So, the course actually played fairly tough on Sunday. It averaged about three-fourths of a shot over par, so Rory being able to go out there and shoot two under was definitely better than the field average. But to put the back nine as he did, Woody, and still come out with a win is classic Rory, but it's one of the things we said. For him to win, he needs things around him to, to happen the right way, and they sure enough did for him to go shoot 38 on the back nine and still win. Well, the weather was a factor that last day for sure, but it's a classic example. I know Rory won the golf tournament. We'll give him credit for it. But Rory didn't so much win as everybody else lost it, literally. How do you shoot 38 the back nine of a, of a big-time golf tournament and still win? Well, what happens is the other guys around you fall on themselves, okay? So, yeah, congratulations, Roy. You won another Dubai Classic, which is whoop-whoop, okay? The one thing you got to say, though, about Rory McIlroy, he's good. <laughs> I don't care. I mean, I don't like the guy, but he is really, really good. I mean, he does things, you all say, he does things with a golf ball that most people can't. But do I think he's a world-class? going to go down the annals as world-class, over-the-top type of guy that we think of uh, a goat or a star. Yeah, he's still he's not that to me. I know five majors pretty good. I, I'm not going to say that he's not a great, great player, but he's not Nicholas. He's not Tiger, like you guys were saying last week. He's not Faldo. He's not Hogan. He's, he's not Saracen. Hagen. He's, none of those, he's not going to go on that kind of list with me. Congratulations, Roy. You won the Dubai Classic. Good boy. Nice job. Congrats, Roy, on the Dubai Desert Classic. We need to hit a break here on the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Coming up after the break, we got our Tory Pines Farmers Insurance Open preview, and Tiger has debuted his new logo. We'll tell you which company that is with after the break here. If you're not already following us on social media, definitely make sure and go do that. At the 73rd Hole on X and at 73rd Hole on Instagram. And also hit that follow button on Apple Podcasts. It's absolutely free and it just helps us out whenever we drop a new episode. It will give you a notification. We're also on GolfOklahoma.org on their front page and the sportsanimal.com and app podcast page as well. More after the break on Oklahoma's leader in golf, the 73rd Hole Podcast. Hey everyone, T-Dub here. I want to take a second to tell you about my good friends at McCray Roofing. Not too long ago, my roof was in desperate need of repair. There was extensive hail damage and I had many leaks that needed attention. Not only did Jeff and his staff build me a new roof, but they walked me through step-by-step of the claims process, which is something that I was very, very concerned about. Everything from the initial inspection of the roof to analyze all the damage to meeting with the insurance adjuster to make sure they were aware of every damaged area, making sure my claim was accurate. Their custom copper creations are truly beautiful and add a great touch to any roof. Not only do they do residential roofs, but they have an elite list of commercial customers, including Gallardia Country Club, Oak Tree National, and Bass Pro Shops. Check out their website at McCrayRoofing.com to view some of their work yourself and give them a call at 405-692-4000. That's 405-692-4000. back here 
here on the other side of the break on the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Like I said before the break, go to golfoklahoma.org. Kim McLeod and Chris Swafford doing a phenomenal job covering local golf in Oklahoma up in Tulsa. Fellas, we got the Farmers Insurance Open this week, and it's an early start. We start on Wednesday on the week of the AFC and NFC Championship games, so they don't have to compete against football. So this Farmers Insurance Open, which is not a signature event, even though it seems like it should be, is Wednesday through Saturday this week. And your top five favorites for the week at Tory are Xander Shoffley, Patrick Cantlay, Colin Morikawa, Max Homa, and then Sungjae M. Sungjae, the only guy not from California out of that group. T-Dub, does the winner come out of those five? I want a done pick will not be inside those top five, so hopefully that is not the case. But you got to love the California boys on a Cali golf course. Just being able to be able to play that grass, and a lot of those guys have played that course extensively. For example, Colin Morikawa, out of everyone in the field, has the best course history on the south course, gaining almost three shots around that he plays there. So that's absolutely outstanding. That's, a more, that's a, more than half a shot over second place. So look for some of those Cali boys to do well. We were kind of talking about it. In the break, Woody, they play the north and the south course. And the north course used to be the pitch and putt, where you could go out there, you could shoot five or six under like it was nothing. And depending on how the weather broke out, you could have a massive advantage playing the north one day versus the south because you could obviously make a lot more birdies. But nowadays, now that the north course is a lot more harder, it's a little bit more level, still not as hard as the south course is, but it's definitely a lot of trickier than it used to be. So we will have one round of the north, we'll have three rounds on the south. And then you were mentioning to us as well that they've had a lot of rain out there. So look at Torrey South at 7,600 yards at sea level. Then you got to look for the Bombers to go out there and have a good week because if you're not going to hit it very far, you're going to be struggling uh, in those conditions. I look for those guys that can put those Poana greens. Those California guys are the ones to look for. Mac Toma always plays good here. I, I like Colin Markawa this week too, though. I really do. I think he, he's going to have a breakout year, so I wouldn't be a bit surprised if he's leading after this thing is done when the, when the final bell rings, as we say. I wouldn't be surprised he's on top. Um, I think when you look at Torrey Pines, that south course is just such a great golf course, guys. It's, it's one of those bucket list type of golf courses. I don't talk about golf courses that much because I've, I've seen a lot of them, but Boy, that Torrey Pine South course is one that you, if you get a chance to ever play it, play it because it's special. I wouldn't suggest that the average guy goes from that 7,600-yard uh, number. Uh, you might want to move up a little bit because if you go with that 7,600, you're probably not going to have as much fun as you should. So I look for a uh, another really good golf tournament. Like I said, they got a lot of rain there in the last couple of days. I don't know what the forecast is, but the wind can blow on that. I mean, it sits right there on the coast, guys. I mean, I remember I remember a lot of times playing it when that wind was howling, and uh, I just thought it was a, just a tremendous golf course. The other thing I love to watch is those uh, Top Gun jets are coming out of that Miramar, Miramar Air Force Base, if you're a Top Gun fan is right over by Torrey Pines. And, man, those, well, at the time when I was playing, they were F-14s, but now they're F-18s, F-16s. They're busting out going across there. And I used to just always get fascinated watching that. 
little off the subject, but I just remember certain things when I was playing, and they're not always about golf. No doubt. And, fellas, when Woody was describing Torrey Pines, I've played that south course, and the word I would use to describe Torrey is grueling. A lot of long, dead straight in front of you par fours, and you don't want to miss the fairway out there. That rough is thick and sticky as can be. I don't care if they're playing a U.S. Open or this tournament. It's still thick and just disgusting. And then uh, you add in the fact of the Poana Greens, get bumpy late in the day. It's just a grueling test of golf. And when tournaments have been there in the past, fellas, we've heard, uh, you know, the likes of Kevin Kisner say, I can't win on a course like Torrey Pines. I can't win out here. I don't hit it far enough to compete to win the golf tournament. They're like, why, why do you even show up then? And he's like, because they paid me a lot of money for 20th place. Um, but fellas, do you consider Torrey Pines to be what some consider boring golf to watch, at least on TV? It's just long and grueling and normally a bomber's paradise, but not as many birdies as you'll see like we saw at the American Express last week. No, I think it's a, a great course to watch. I remember being young, Tiger would always play this tournament because it used to be the Buick Invitational or Bu- whatever Buick was, and Tiger was sponsored by Buick, so he played it every year. He probably would have anyway because he's from California loves Torrey, but he was there all the time, had a tremendous record, and I loved it for that, but then it was also one of the courses on the OG Tiger Woods video game, so you got to play it a lot there, so I thought that was cool. And then the back nine has some great holes. I think 13 and 18 are tremendous par fives. Great risk-reward opportunities on both of them, and then I think 16 is a very good par three to come in, very long, challenging par three. So I think that it's got some good holes on it. definitely has some holes to where, as you were alluding to earlier, Sam, you cannot miss the fairway out there, even if you hit it over 300 yards, you missed the fairway, you're going to be struggling. And yes, there is, this is one of the few courses, or not few courses, but this is one of the courses for sure that there is a distance cap on. If you do not hit the ball so far, they, uh, I don't think mathematically you have a chance to win this tournament, going back to Kevin Kinsner's point earlier. So yeah, and then you mentioned the California boys as well. Mention Morikawa has a good record here. Sander Shafle has a good record over the last few years at this course. Um, and then you have the likes of a Daniel Berger has a good record here. I know he's not from California, but it's interesting to see that he has he's made a comeback. He made the cut last week at the American Express. And then Woody, another familiar face is in the field. Michael Block is playing. So all for all you Michael Block fan show guys, congratulations. You'll get to watch him play this week. Well, Michael Block gets to play because he won the section championship in the Southern California section. And and the reason why I know that is I did that. And you at that time, when I did it, you got to play at L.A., you got to play in San Diego, and you got to play Bob Hope. So that was three tournaments, three PGA tournaments I got in as a club pro. So that's how Michael Block is playing in it. So before ever be – but he becomes a hater and says he got a sponsor's exemption and he is, somebody else should have it. No, he earned his way to the golf tournament. Now, I don't think Michael Block is going to be a threat this week. <laughs> I, I, in, in fact, not the greatest course money, fit is what you're saying, Woody. Not the greatest yeah, course fit. It, it, it's not quite going to suit his game that much. Um, I, and, and not that Michael Block's not a heck of a player, but I just don't think – He's going to be a factor this week. Um, and now you watch, he probably will be now that I said that. But um, if I was betting on Michael Block, I bet Miss Cut over a bet top 40 penny or even making the cut. Okay. So 
I think when you watch Tory, it can be boring, Sam, but I look at Tory Pines as it, 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 what it does to me is it brings out the best golfer. Who's really striking the ball well that week? Who is hitting the drives in the fairway? Who is making great iron shots with usually kind of difficult conditions? And then it, nothing else. If you're not into golf, just look at the beauty of the place. Oh, my gosh, it's gorgeous. I mean, it just, it, it's second only to Carmel, which Pebble Beach is next week. There's two places golf when you have the ocean and you just have that beauty and that's, that's in Carmel and City, California. How much money you pay me, I'll go there except to play golf and I'll play golf and leave. I have I don't want anything to do with that stupid state. <laughs> what do you just like Tory Pines cuz there's a nude beach off the cliff there uh at Tory Pines. Um but- I never saw that. Was it really? I missed that. See, I was focused too much on my golf. It's too cold to have a nude beach there, Sam. If there's no way if there's somebody naked down there this week, I want to see it because no, I don't believe it. I'm calm bull. <laughs> uh, what he wants to inspect and uh, see the crazy people on the nude beach. But no, fellas, um, normally when we get to these non-elevated events, by the way, before I say this, I completely agree with what Woody was saying about Tory Pine. Some people call it boring, but look at the leaderboards from these, not only these Farmers Insurance Opens, but the, the U.S. Open that John Rahm won, that was a phenomenal leaderboard, and Woody is spot on when he says that it produces the best ball strikers that week. That's what Torrey Pines does for its leaderboards. Now, when we get to these non-elevated events, fellas, for my one-and-done picks, they're not necessarily always going to be the people that I think are going to win the golf tournament. But this week, my one-and-done pick who I don't think is going to win a major. I don't think he's going to win an elevated event, but I do think he has a legitimate shot to win this golf tournament this week. That's Keegan Bradley. Keegan Bradley at the Farmers last year finished second, and he gained 2.26 shots on the greens. When Keegan Bradley gets to a place where he likes the greens and feels comfortable with the putter in his hands, look out because he's a world-class ball striker. And last time he teed it up at the Sony Open in Hawaii, he finished tied for second and gained over a half shot in every single category that week at the Sony Open for the event. So I am picking my one-and-done pick and the winner of the golf tournament. They're the same this week, and it's Keegan Bradley to me, T-Dub. Yeah, the runner-up here last year also has a fourth and a fifth in there. There's a car, so definitely loves Satori Pons. Looking here, I think he's only missed a cut twice in, was 11 appearances? So that's a pretty good track record. My one-and-done pick also has a very good track record here, a guy who has been playing a lot better golf over the last really since the middle of 2022. So that's a good sign to see. Got a win last year's Byron Nelson. Give me a little bit of Jason Day, guys. Over the last two years of this tournament, he's finished seventh and third. He also has a win here back in 2018, also a win in 2015, also has a second and a fifth in there, uh, also has a ninth and a 16th. So very, very good track record here. Has been hitting the ball exceptionally well over this last few tournaments. Last week, he made the cut, finished 34th but didn't putt very well, so I look for him to bounce back on a course where he definitely likes the greens the last two years, gaining more than a shot and a half on the greens at least 
on the south course. So uh, definitely give me some Jason Day Woody, a guy who I root for and who I think is going to have a tremendous week just because he has a tremendous track record here. You know, if I didn't know a little bit about golf, listening to you guys when you pick your one and dones, you'd almost get me to be a gambler again because you guys, man, I'm telling you, both these guys sound like they could win the golf tournament. I hope they do for your sake, <laughs> but I also know there's 156 guys in the field, and, and trying to pick a winner in a golf tournament is one of the hardest things you can ever do. I still said I wouldn't – of course, I don't have a one-and-done thing that I do, but Colin Arcawa still jumps to the head of my class this week. But, boy, I like your all's pick. I think I think you guys are on to something there. So, um, again, I'm not going to put any money on it, but I sure like it. No doubt. And, Woody, when we talk about betting in golf, number one, I appreciate the compliment, but, yes, we make some pretty decent picks. We probably pick a lot more top 10, top 5 finishers than the average gambler out there. But still, I've only picked the winner of a golf tournament in, what, two and a half years of doing this, T-Dub? I've only picked the winner of a golf tournament a handful of times, and that's quite a bit, I guess. So be careful out there when betting on golf, T-Dub, right? <laughs> Yeah, it's very hard. Even when you can, like, let's just say you made all, a bet all year and you had the odds of 25 to 1. And you hit a, a, you would have to hit a decent amount of those to be able to even break out even. So it's, it's definitely something you got to be tricky of. And it's, like you said, it's not – the best thing I like to do is you find matchup bets because you can generally find a little bit of a little bit of edge between here and there. Or then you can make top 10 bets. Like we said last week, to pick Rory as a top five. He ended up winning the damn tournament. The top five seemed like almost an absolute shoe win. So, yeah, I would lean towards top five, top ten bets. Try to go out and win a tournament. You can get some good odds on it, but if you want to do it on a consistent basis, good luck trying to chase that. Yeah, how about base hits? Hit base hits in golf, and you're doing great. I mean, going for the home run in golf, you're going to lose a lot. Yeah, no doubt. And and like to what T-Dub said, like matchup bets or one bet that I feel like hits a lot is, for instance, last week, if – you bet on Nick Dunlap in the final round over-under. His over-under was set at 68. Well, obviously, a bunch of pressure going to be on a young kid like that trying to close out a golf tournament. I would have bet over, and it would have hit. He shot 70 in the final round, even though he had just shot a 60 the day before. You just kind of have to take little things into consideration like that. But I agree with what T-Dub's saying about betting on golf tournaments. And then last week, if you find a week where like Rory McIlroy has a 25% chance to win the golf tournament at the Dubai Desert Classic, then you might take a flyer on him to win the golf tournament. But a normal week like this with... Uh, you know, Xander Shoffley, only a 9.4% chance to win, and he's your favorite. There's a lot better bets out there to be made. Um, fellas, anything else on Tory before we uh, move on to Tiger and then get out of here? No, let's go to Tiger. <laughs> oh, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> so I was, I was going to transition into the, the fact that we're going to talk about Tiger with reliving the Tiger moment of that. The oh. most famous one of his is obviously whenever he made that putt on 18 on Sunday. And I just remember where I was. I was getting ready for a, a tournament. I think it was OJGT at Rose Creek. And I just played my practice around the day before. And I remember I got done when he was playing the last hole. And he was chopping it around. He had to he had to hit his third shot from out of the rough and hit it up there. And I'm like, this is going to be the one time the Tiger chokes it off. And somehow he was still able to pull it off. But I remember very vividly being upset that I had to go play in OJGT the next morning when him and Rocco went to go play what eventually ended up being a 19-hole playoff, one of the most legendary playoffs of all time. And I didn't get to watch it because I was playing a junior tournament. <laughs> See, that's why I said let's just move on. 
<laughs> yeah, that t- was depressing. That was depressing. It damn sure was, Woody. It sure was. <laughs> That's right. And it was the greatest golf tournament of all time until 2019 when Tiger did it again at Augusta. Um, yeah, there you speaking go. of Tiger, fellas, we found out this week that Tiger will be debuting a new clothing line under TaylorMade's umbrella called Sunday Red. And, you know, his contract with Nike was up in 2023. He'll be launching this new line in early 2024 whenever, like he said, see you in L.A. I'm sure he'll debut Sunday Red at Riviera. And it comes with this new logo. And, fellas, I got to be honest, it looks eerily similar to the Greg Norman Shark logo, but... I, I like the just regular TW, you know, logo. And, and it's going to be weird not seeing Tiger Woods with the Nike swoosh on his on his shirt. Obviously, he'll still have the regular TW logo on his hat because he owned the rights to that. Um, but this new Tiger logo is literally just like a stick figure Tiger. I don't even know how to explain this logo. T-Dub, maybe you can do a better job than me explaining this Sunday Red logo. I saw it when I was scrolling through trying to find some news and I saw this and I'm like, is this real? Like, is this really the logo they came up with? I get the concept of it. So compared to some of the options that they could have done, I, just, I feel like they're like a, a fifth grader drew it. It just doesn't look legit. I expected whenever we had this decision, we were talking about it a few weeks ago, Tiger was more than likely either going to go to TaylorMade or was going to start his own line and he decided to go with TaylorMade. They're going to pay him an absorbent amount of money to do it. I thought that we could have come up with a little bit cooler logo, Woody. I don't know. It just there's something about it. The classic TW, what does it for me, obviously my initials being TW Mega Tour. I love it a lot more, but still that's iconic. Luckily you'll still have it on the hat. But the, the Tiger logo as as it may grow on me a little bit and maybe if he wins a major with it on it'll definitely grow on me. But at least at this point, I'm not the biggest fan. You know, their logos are tough guys. I hate to tell you this logos are something that uh having worked at a number of clubs and we look for logos on our clothes and they are they are one of the most difficult things to do iconic logos are are few and far between you can think of the swoosh that's iconic you can think of the masters where the flag is you know Uh, i'll tell you this i still think oak tree is iconic what they were able to do with that logo was unbelievable to me so logos are difficult um the tw was i thought already there and in place i think that was probably why they outthought themselves they thought they had to do something else but i'm i'm gonna give them a little break here because i just think logos are one of the most difficult things to come up with there is it's just really hard to separate yourself and to have something that's just all that. And with Tiger especially, because we're, we're, we're so ready for something really cool that it's almost impossible to give us everything we want. No doubt. And maybe the logo will, will grow on us, but like I said, like T-Dub said, it kind of looks like a little kid drew it. But, you know, who knows? Speaking yeah. of great logos, fellas, this is the last thing I'll say here is I was scrolling through Twitter and John Clark, who is the NBC sports affiliate from Philadelphia, who I used to get all my Eagles news tweeted about golf this morning. And I was like, this is weird. And 
the tweet says that the USGA just announced that the US Open will return to Marion. Speaking of iconic logos, in 2040, yeah. in addition to already scheduled U.S. Opens in 2030 and 2050. And then, like he says here, don't forget that the PGA Championship is coming to Aronimink in 2026, which, if you guys have listened to this show for long enough, you'll realize that Aronimink is my favorite course that I've ever played. Um, and I cannot wait for that. But a bunch of great golf coming to Philadelphia, t I think the USGA has learned from their lessons and trying to go to different golf courses and trying to spread it around. The fact that they have almost every feature site detailed going all the way up to 2051, I think they're trying to limit the amount of courses they're going to. And obviously adding Marion in there is it is what they should do. It's one of the top 10 golf courses in the world by every single ranking system that's ever existed all throughout human time. And it's also the premier example of what we talk about when you do not need to roll the damn golf ball back because look at a course like Marion under 7,000 yards. There's no way you're going to get to double digits under par for a U.S. Open on that course. So it withstood the test of time. It will continue to withstand the test of time. And there's absolutely great golf course. Great decision by the USGA. They need to make more decisions like this because most of the decisions they made lately have been absolutely horrible. <laughs> How do you really feel about it? <laughs> well, and, and again, uh, you guys correct me. Yeah, but, but I agree. I, I totally agree that they – you know, the USGA went so far out of the box when they were picking some of those golf tournaments that they had their U.S. Open on. I, I was really disappointed in them. Um, they were woke before they knew what woke was, some of those picks they picked. I just thought they were ridiculous. And I know what they were for. And, Sam, you know what they're for. So do you, T-Dubs. called money. Uh, but we'll move on from that. They got their head on their straight. And they're working the way they can, the best they can. Iconic golf courses for the major championship we call the U.S. Open. You got to go to those kinds of places. Good for them. No doubt. And what was the winning score last time they played a major championship there? One over par for four rounds. I can't imagine after they roll the golf ball back 10 more times before 2040, fellas, on the pace that we're on right now, I can't imagine what the winning score is going to be. Is it going to be 12 over par at Marion next time they play there in 2040 or 2050? My goodness, fellas. So It could I be like Wingfoot. <laughs> yeah. Wing, Wingfoot. You know, in 1974, what was it? I know the Taylor So it, it, it can. It, they can get it where it can be ugly. They can. No doubt. No doubt about it. Good stuff today, fellas. That was Jim Woodward from Oak Tree National and T-Dub with us today, Taylor Williams. This has been Sam Humphreys on Oklahoma's Leader in Golf, the 73rd Hole Podcast. Like I said, hit that follow button on Apple Podcasts absolutely free. It will just give you a notification whenever we drop a new episode. And you can also listen to us on the Sports Animal app. Everyone enjoy the golf. Remember, starts on Wednesday, ends on Saturday this week. Everyone enjoy it. We'll be back next week to recap Tory Pines and get you primed up for the AT&T Pebble Beach signature event next week. This has been the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma.